This is 10 with Ken, a 10-minute interview series that's never 10 minutes. In this episode, I get to speak to Ronnie Naharo, State Director for Americans for Prosperity Nevada. Ronnie, an Emmy award-winning journalist turned political activist, talks about his family's pursuit of the American dream, the incredible work their organization is doing in the community, and what Hispanic Americans' legislative priorities look like right now. Enjoy. Ronnie, I'm, I'm so glad I, I get to talk to you today. Um, you are, you know, from everyone I've spoken with, you're, you're a good dude. Maybe I spoke to the wrong people, but everybody tells me you're a great dude. And, uh, you know, that I love the work that you do. I love the work that AFP does uh, here in Nevada. And so I want to, I want to talk through that today. I want to learn a little bit more about, about you. I want to learn more a little bit about your organization. And I, I want you to tell me all of the great things that, that you're doing to, you know, help, Make Nevada a better state, um, and that's 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 kind of our goal today. So, Ronnie, the, the place I want to start with though is, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, about you know how you know your 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 history, how you came to Nevada, and then of course how you came to join AFP. Right. Well, thanks. Uh, first and foremost, thanks for let, having me on your show. It's really great to to talk to you. I've heard great things about your podcast here and and what you're trying to do, and fully supportive of of getting getting these important topics discussed. So. Um, like you mentioned earlier, I'm the state director for AFP. I recently came on board as the new state director as of December. So I'm six months in and it's been a great ride. I've been with this organization since 2013, actually. I started with the Libre Initiative, really focusing on the Hispanic community and how can we get the Hispanic community uh, to understand the benefits of a limited government, for example, and, and the benefits of the free enterprise system, which so many of us uh, have come to not only learn about through, through through hearing and reading, but also living the dream, right? So my family uh, and I actually immigrated uh, to the United States from, uh, from El Salvador, which was a country in turmoil at the time we came. And my father, who was only 20 years old at the time, uh, with me still in the womb with my mother, came to the United States knowing two things, right? Number one, he wasn't going to be able to enjoy the kind of life he wanted for his son and his wife back home in El Salvador because of the war, because of the instability. And number two, he knew that here, that that he could make something of himself. It wasn't gonna be easy and nothing was going to be given to him, but he understood that and he made the risk and he came and, and started working in the food truck industry in LA, uh, downtown Los Angeles, largely immigrant community, saved up enough money, brought my family and my mom and I, I was two at, two at the time and brought us over and I remember my childhood just, uh, you know, growing up in Southern California, I would, I would ride the bus with my mother to, to work at her factory job. Uh, my dad would leave the house at three in the morning. So it was, it was, it was a, a, an experience that taught me a lot about what it means to actually earn your success in this country with nothing given to you. And those are values that my father and my family, you know, lived through many years, right? Um, fast forward, my father was able to buy his, his, his own home in 1992, uh, about 15 years after he got to America and, and really provided us the kind of life we could, we, you know, we could, we could, we could be proud of. Right. And, and so um, my studies brought me here to UNLV in 2002. I started, I studied broadcast journalism and communications at UNLV. So go rebels. And, uh, you know, started <laughs> at a college, started being a broadcaster, working in the news on Univision, Spanish language media. I was a sports anchor for many years, won an Emmy award for my work there. But then something happened in 2008 uh, that really uh, put the rung under all of us, right? The recession. And uh, ended up being one of many people at the station that were laid off at the time. 
Um, so you can imagine the shock it was. I had no idea what was going on in politics, no idea what was going on with the economy. All I knew was that I was working in the news. It was a, it was a dream job I never thought I'd have. But, um, you know, it, it put me in this in this trajectory where where now I'm sitting here laid off from my career, pretty high profile position to having to go back to work a minimum wage job during the recession because opportunities were limited. Right. Um, went back to live with my mother, really, really started to get discouraged until uh, Libre Initiative was looking to expand here in Nevada. Uh, they were looking for a press person that would go out and disseminate the Libra message. And I started learning about the economy then, right? And I started learning how how more college graduates like myself were going back to live with their parents because they couldn't find opportunities. And I'm thinking to myself, what happened? What's going on here, right? Started learning about Obamacare, right? And how that was you know, reducing the work hour week to 30 hours. And then I made the connection at, my, at, my, at the job I was working with. Like, I could never get 40 hours, right? not make enough money to move wow. out of my mother's house again. And it started yeah. clicking, started clicking. And uh, that started my ride with Libra Initiative in 2013. And, and I found it, I found it almost uh, ironic that I was speaking to a lot of the issues that I found got me out of the marketplace in the first place, which was, which was government spending, which is over government involvement in the economy with the real estate boom. And uh, here we are today, uh, like nine years later, my math certainly will as state director for AP overseeing all the brands and all the organizations here. That uh, Ronnie, I didn't even, I didn't know half your story that that's an incredible uh, story. And, and especially, you know, it, it's unfortunate. And, and a lot of us experience it, the, the generation before us doesn't understand what our generation, I, I graduated from UNLV in 2014, but you know, I was at UNLV for eight, Long, wonderful years go Rebels. Um, <laughs> they don't understand what, you know, our generation has had to go, you know, from 9-11, the 9-11 recession, right? right? Then we did the, the 2008 recession. Then we're coming to another, you know, like it just, we look at, you know, like government and stuff like that. And just, I feel like our generation, I mean, no, nothing racial, nothing from where you came from. Like, we just look at the, the government. We're, we're just so distrusting. We're like, you guys let us go through these recessions. Right this long and, and, and over and over of just taxes keep going up, you know, especially as we get older, we're starting to have to pay those taxes, um, you know, <laughs> and, and seeing the stranglehold it has on some parts of our economy. Um, and that when we let, you know, and, and I want to ask you about, you know, that free enterprise side of, of what you guys do of like, when, when the economy is unleashed, people, you know, prosper, you know, and, and I, it's, it's cool to see your story of how you were, kind of brought to the side of politics, you know, politics found you, you know, right. by, by forcing you out of work. And, 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 you know, that's, that's kind of where, where you're at today. It's such an incredible organization. It's cool that you've been with them for so long. Uh, where's your Emmy? I, I figured it'd be like on a big pedestal <laughs> right behind you, but you know, yeah, that, that's, you know, that's really cool uh, that you want an Emmy. <laughs> with COVID, I had to uh, open up an office at, at my house. So it's, it's sitting right now in a nice little glass <laughs> container in my uh living room but i do have my picture here in my certificate so anytime you come into okay. the office I'm more than happy to show you around but listen man this organization really uh really gave me a second chance right to to make a difference in the community and i'm forever grateful for the for the opportunity to to have a voice in the community and to drive a lasting change you talk about the free enterprise system uh and you know the topic about hispanics is is that hispanics really haven't rejected the free enterprise system or haven't really uh, embrace th this big government agenda. The fact of the matter is, we know it because we've lived it, 
it's been an issue of, of outreach, effective outreach that's been uh, for one way or another, for one reason or another, was kind of taken for granted, right, by, by those of us that believe in free enterprise and believe in capitalism. And we assume that those principles would somehow uh, automatically resonate. The reality is it, 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 that it doesn't. And like Ronald Reagan said, you know, we have to pass it down over and over again. And I can tell you one thing about it that I, that I found in my own personal journey and in my family is that the free enterprise system is great, but it will kick you in the teeth, right? It will it will kick you in the teeth and knock you down. And my father and my family had a lot of ups and downs coming up as, as, a, as a young immigrant family. And me, myself, you know what the beauty about it is, Ken, is that it always gives you a second chance. And it gives you the opportunity to be able to, to embrace and create new opportunities. In my case, I was able to reinvent myself into a political uh, uh, political consultant, you would say, or activist and, and public policy advocacy uh, from broadcasting, which was never in my rearview mirror. But, you know, the opportunities in this country present themselves and it's really on you and all of us to really take advantage of them. No, it, it's incredible. And I, I, I feel like that's the one unifying, I mean, we're, we're all going to, you know, you put a hundred Republicans or a hundred conservatives in a room, you're going to get a hundred different opinions. But I think we all sort of unite on free markets uh, that they free people, that they allow people to live the lives they want to live. And that a, a centralized economy is really the one thing we can unite against is that centralizing and, and government control of economies is kind of where we all kind of we all kind of agree uh, that that's a bad idea. Um, I, and the reason I, part of the reason I wanted to talk to you, Ronnie, and, I, and I'm going to talk to a couple of other you know Hispanic leaders in the community is I read a book called uh, The Hispanic Republican. Uh, it's by Geraldo Cadava. Um, it, it, it's an incredible history of Hispanics um, and, and their, their journey politically in America. And all of the stories of these incredible Hispanics through the generations, if you will, or, you know, the past, you know, 50, 60 years, they all come from families that they, they, you know, they love their families, they'll fight for their families. And then also they just worked hard. They're the hardest workers in, in, in America. And, and the stories that they've all kind of come up from uh, to now is just, it, it's just incredible. And you're, you're one of those people. I mean, your fam, your, your dad and mom worked hard to bring you to where you are in your life. And, um, you know, I, I want to know more about how, how we can bring, you know, that, that, what what motivated your dad? I know you talked about you know El Salvador not being a um, you know a stable place for him to raise his family, but did was it was it chasing the American dream? Is that is it really like we talk about the American dream all the time? Is that really it? Is that what brought him here? Is that what drives you? Like is that sentiment still strong in the Hispanic community? Because I feel like I feel like what, uh, people like me, like white folks and European, like we've forgotten that. Like we we hate the American dream. We like oh that's you know, it's tainted for us, but I feel like it hasn't for, for your community. Can you talk a little bit about that American dream side of stuff for you and your family and your dad? And Yeah, I think, listen, I think the, the, the American dream is still alive and very much well in the Hispanic community. When you look at a community that's starting businesses at twice the national average is, is the latest statistic. It's a very entrepreneurial community and it's created because of, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's something we live because, in the case of my father, he, you know, he didn't have the language. He didn't know how to speak English here. He didn't know how the institutions work, and 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 he didn't know a lot of the uh, the intricacies of American culture. What he did know was that he had a sister who had came here previously, and she had worked and she had set up her own her own life and built a successful life. So he knew it was possible, right? And that's something that 
to this day, we can still see a lot of Hispanic communities, you know, they, they like everybody else, right? We want to make sure that there are good opportunities to start a business. There's good opportunities to provide our kids with good educational options. We all want to have a, something of legacy to, to leave behind, right? Whether it be your real estate or your, your business, it's still very alive and well. I think, um, you know, what's, what's keeping the community back is, is I think a lot of the barriers that are put in front of them, right? Um, and so when you look at what the work that I do in the Hispanic community, it was very simple to me uh, when thinking about how to help Hispanics and how to do it is I work for an organization that breaks barriers and that's external barriers and internal barriers so that we all can lead successful lives. And when you talk about external barriers, you know, government regulation over, over taxing communities, right? Um, you know, crony is capitalist that, that only favors those that are in power and that are, that are connected. Those are external barriers that through policy we can break. But then also we have a very uh, strong focus in breaking internal barriers, right? Internal barriers could be a language barrier, right? That, that maybe we don't know how to communicate in English, for example, right? Or maybe we don't have a driver's license that allows us to move freely to and from work. So we've taken on a two-pronged approach and we offer English classes. Right. We offer a driving classes. We offer how to start a business, because once you do that, once you break these internal barriers, the free market is real. It's something you can touch. You can you can you can grab. It's something you can pass on to your kids. And so it's very intertwined with our experience here in the United States. And it's something that I saw firsthand with my family uh, and that I'm seeing in communities as we work to break these barriers, uh, internal barriers and external barriers as well. That's excellent. So you're saying that AFP, you know, offers those services for, for people here in Nevada. Right. We do a lot of stuff in the community. So any any educational activities we've we've flirted with financial literacy courses in the past to teach young people how to be smart financially stuff. They don't teach you in, in normal education on the Libre side, which is which is an organization that that I oversee as well. We, we dive into breaking those internal barriers, um, providing resources that are going to allow individuals to seize opportunities. And then on the policy perspective is how can we create an, an atmosphere and an environment where a lot of these tools and resources we're providing are useful in a free market economy? I, I might need to talk to you about one of those financial literacy courses, Ronnie. <laughs> um, sa save me a spot. Um, tell me the differences a little bit between AFP and Libre and 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 what's Libre's, wh what are both of those organizations' main mission? Is it, is it, like you said, I, I love that breaking barrier side, but you know, is it a policy plus community services? Like what's, what would you describe as are their main missions here in the state? Like, so our mission, uh, AFP and Libre is, is one and the same. We want to create a free society where individuals have the abilities to maximize their full potential and create lasting changes and allow them to do so and improve lives, right? The only difference is at the Libre initiative is, is we message directly to the Hispanic community. Right. So when you talk about healthcare, uh, uh, healthcare and government run healthcare, you know, we talk about it to AFP's audience. It's 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 we don't need government in our healthcare, right? Because it raises costs, it's too bureaucratic, it 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 it's unaffordable. And when you talk about healthcare to the Hispanic community, it's still unaffordable. But what you're looking at in the Hispanic community is as you start to get more government involvement in healthcare and you start seeing options diminish, it impacts the Hispanic community even more because a lot of our community doesn't speak any English, right? 33% only, only speak Spanish at home. So when you start having fewer choices, inevitably, Spanish-speaking doctors are short. 
And so it's it's more of a it's even more of a problem. So we communicate it, but we the same message, but we tell it specific to the Hispanic experience. But we're all moving the boat in the same direction, trying to get less government out of our lives and promote more free enterprise and more opportunity for everyone. And and Ronnie, healthcare is a perfect example of a sector of the economy that has just been destroyed by government interference. I mean, it's it's an absolute mess, and I, I it'll take decades to to make things better there because we've just, we prescribed a solution and we, you know, Americans prescribed a solution in Obamacare and it just made it, it made it 10 times worse. So it's uh that's a rough one. Um, and especially thinking about, you know, specialized doctors like that, it's hard enough to get a, you know, an English speaking doctor, let right. alone someone who can specialize in those communities. And, uh, you know, I've heard the same thing with, with Asian communities, right? right. Filipino or uh, Tagalog speaking doctors and things like that. Um, they have that same issue where there's those doctors are now spread thinner than they ever have been. And there's right. more stressed and, you know, than they ever have been. So that's a, that's a really important point of that. I, I never even thought about. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your organization? What are your specific goals right now? So what are you focusing on this month? Or what are you focusing on, uh, you know, right this week that people who are listening to this right now can go and do or can you know, what's a specific goal right now? You know, right now we're definitely looking at a lot of the federal priorities that are coming down the pipe and really raising the alarm and really getting the community involved. When you look at what the infrastructure package that just passed last night and what that means for for the not only the people right now, but future generations that are going to be saddled with more and more government spending, more and more debt. Uh, and it's and the, the thing that's worrying is that what's going on in Washington is not reflective of what we're seeing here on the ground, right? What we're seeing on the ground is that costs for construction costs are super high and therefore our home prices are through the roof. So there's more and more folks can achieve that American dream of buying a home, for example, because of these raising, rising construction costs, lumber is so expensive, gas prices are up, food and groceries have risen faster than they've ever had before. Inflation is a real thing, right? And this is something that, that, that our leaders in Washington, you know, 19 Republicans voted for this infrastructure package that, that passed the Senate last last night. Um, and and there's appearing to be no end in sight. So we're sounding the alarm on these on these priorities coming from Washington, from the White House. Uh, we're working also locally here in the community to really start getting the word out about what happened at our last legislative session. Uh, you know, who were the uh, who were the ones that stood on principle? What policies did AFP help advance? And hoping to educate a lot of constituencies in key districts to let them understand the role that their own politicians play in shaping the future of Nevada policy. So we're working hard to 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 mobilize and educate folks around these policies as we speak. And obviously, as we get closer to to uh, to the next legislative session and even next year, uh, we really hope to be in a good position where our communities are educated and they really understand what issues are are, are being promoted and by who. That's it's uh it's an important point. I mean, the infrastructure bill is is difficult because of course, you know, like you can't be against infrastructure. No one's against right. infrastructure, but it's like we're at a time where materials are more expensive than they ever have been because, you know, partially because of the pandemic, but also because of the government's response to the pandemic. Um why not? Why don't we let's just build stuff? Let's spend three point five trillion dollars to build stuff at a time when we can't get materials. That's great. It's very smart. <laughs> well, um, no, the thing is that you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, nobody disagrees <laughs> that our infrastructure needs help. The problem with the current spending packages is that only six percent goes to actually building roads and bridges. The rest is is in a lot of stuff that's considered infrastructure, but isn't really. And so, when you look yeah. at the Highway Trust Fund, for example, and you look at twenty eight percent of 
the funds in the Highway Trust Fund that was created for this specific purpose is siphoned off to other non-infrastructure projects. It's a matter of prioritization, and it's a matter of really uh, have eliminating duplicative stuff that unfortunately gets put into these infrastructure bills and only ends up being more taxes, more uh, more government involvement, and more partisan pet projects, which we absolutely oppose. It is. And it, it is. It's, you know, they, they supposedly banned pork, you know, in 2010 and they did. I mean, I get that, but it, it's not, it, it's just under a different way, name. It's an, another way to buy votes. It's, it's, it's very difficult. And uh, I, I'm not, I'm not happy with the crossover votes. I understand we're trying to get stuff done, but not at the expense of, you know, you know, trillions of dollars in a time right. when we, sh we, we should be spending less, not more. Or if we're spending, it should be the most targeted possible stuff. Absolutely. Like the COVID relief bills have both. But I support, you know, spending, you know, federal money on important emergency related stuff, right? I mean, infrastructure, right. same thing. I want to spend what we need to spend to accomplish the federal goals. But it's not like that. Like you said, it's just everything else. And then just a tiny little right. flavor of infrastructure, right. you know. Um, it's like making a mimosa, right? It's this much champagne, this much orange <laughs> juice. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's terrible. <laughs> um, but no, it's great. I, I'm glad you guys are doing that. Um, if you want to send me a link with, you know, if there's, I, I know it's past, but whatever's next, you know, send me a link. I'll get it out to, you know, I'll post about it. it try to get people to, you know, fight for, for stuff with the, you know, that you need them. So, you know, the, the one person that listens to the show, hi mom, you know, it's, whatever, <laughs> I'll get them to do it. Um, Ronnie, I want to move, move back closer to Nevada. So, okay. When, when you're, I know, I know we haven't been, you know, out in the community as much and, and tell me if I'm wrong on that, but, you know, because of COVID and I, I get that, you know, the world's a little closed right now, but when you're talking to voters, when you're talking to, and let's say a Hispanic voter, when you're talking to a Hispanic, let's say they're independent, they're nonpartisan, they are, you know, they work a job down on the strip, they're not super political. Um, what are your conversations with them? What, what do you do to get them on your side, if you will? What, what are you, how do you convert someone who's non-political um, and, and, and is just, you're trying to get them to sign a petition of yours. You're trying to get them to volunteer. You're trying to get them to, you know, whatever, sign up. How do you and, you, and, you, and your team get them? What's, what's the message that gets through to someone who's apolitical? Um, and, and how is that working, you know, you with, know, with these voters? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that we always, um, look at, right? But I think right now, specifically in Nevada and even else in other places of the world, when you look at party registrations on voters, right, the party identification labels are starting to drop and you're seeing a rise in nonpartisan voters. People are tired of politics, right? People are tired of partisan politics. They're tired of the, of the, uh, of the polarization and people just want to focus on issues, I think, right? And we're talking about issues that are impacting all of us in Nevada. When you talk about you know, the economy struggling to get back into a place where, where we can we can get out of this COVID and, and look ahead to start building a life again. Right. Or you look at immigration, for example, and you're starting to see that it's been over 30 years that we've had nothing but promises on immigration and nothing has happened from either side. Right. People are looking to AFP and to Libre and our partner organizations as as that voice that's trying to bring people together. And that's our message. Right. We're here to advance good policy principled policy and we do it in a way that's going to bring people to the table and actually talk about the issues and that's our pitch right you know we don't we, we can work with hardcore democrats and progressives on criminal justice reform right 
and then we can work with hardcore conservatives on tax and spending and even Supreme Court nominations. And we can agree to disagree where we can, but we're not going to isolate somebody just because we disagree on an issue. So I like to consider us as, a, as, an, open, as an open tent where folks can come and exchange ideas and disagree civilly, but then work to make the difference in places where we agree. And I think that's the formula that's worked for us. And we've seen it at the legislative session when you're working on criminal justice. We've seen it when you're trying to fight minimum wage, right? It's it, Or government spending or Supreme Court nominations or anything like that. So, you know, that's our pitch. We, we, we're all about the issues. That's what we care about. And obviously we have our core issues and we're, 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 we're going we're gonna to stick to our guns when we, when we believe that our principles guide us there. But we're also going to work to find common ground. And I think that's what's missing in politics. No, that, that's incredible. And I, I, I understand that people want issues. What, what are the issues though, that, that you want to see And Ronnie speaking as, you know, state director of AFP, whoever, as you yourself, like what, what do Hispanics like yourself? And, and let's say what your, what is your family? What is the Naharo family? <laughs> when they come to you, they go, Ronnie, you got to fix this. You work in politics, Ronnie, we, you got to fix this. What, what do they want to see? What is the because I know it ain't infrastructure, Ronnie. Right. I, I know it. I know it's not an infrastructure bill. So, yeah. what what do they want to see, and what does AFP's answer to that, or your answer personally? What is the answer? So, what, what's their question, and then what is your answer to that that question yeah. for what they want to well, see as, yeah, in that as, or DC, whatever? Yeah, as a, as a, as an immigrant family, um, that that pretty much all my family's immigrant. We came here in the eighties. Some of us later in the nineties. Some even in the two thousands. And, uh, you know, we all have families back home in our home countries. And so they want to see a personally want to see a solution to fix our immigration system. Right. And deal with it in a compassionate and way that accounts for the the, the contributions that immigrants make. Right. Um, it's, it's something that that, you know, you hear a lot of studies that are set out there about economy, education, healthcare as being top issues for Latinos. And I agree with that. They're very important issues. But when you talk about at the kitchen table, when you look at immigration, uh, in my family at least, it's a very emotional issue because a lot of us, our family members still fall in, in, in our, some of them are in the shadows or we know someone. And so it's an emotional issue. And if you understand politics, you know that politics can be a very emotional thing, right? So what we like to see, what my family likes to see is an immigration reform policy that, that takes into account the realities of, of what the immigrant community faces. Uh, the challenges that they face day in and day out, and how can we get both sides to work on it, right, and to fix it, right? Because we all know that just deporting everybody is not going to be the solution, right? You just can't do that. It's it's impossible. But we also understand that there's that that a lot of us come here for good me good means, and we also understand there are a lot of us that a lot of uh, folks that that are trying to get across may not be with the best intentions. So we have to find a way to deal with that, right? As far as what AFP is, 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 is looking to do and also the Libra Initiative, it's kind of that same thing. It's how can we, you know, deal with the folks that are hardworking, that are already here, that are contributing? How can we provide them the ability to, to finally just once and for all assimilate and, and, and integrate into American culture and contribute, but then also keep out um, the criminal element and, and reduce the need to put your life in danger by taking that treacherous journey? And I think that, you know, from what we've seen with the Libra Initiative and AFP is that's been the approach is, is, is let's bring both sides to the table and understand the political realities that exist. It can't just be deport everybody and it can't just be close the border and nothing. And it can't be free citizenship and it can't be, you know, whoever wants to come in, comes in. It has to be both sides 
simultaneously. I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, and I think that that dialogue has been missing, at least in the immigration debate. Another thing that we want to see is just opportunity, right? Uh, an opportunity to, to get good jobs, right? Um, to have the ability to move up and on in life, right? You come here, my family came here as an immigrant, worked at the bottom for a while, but you know what? We don't stay there because there's opportunities. So the opportunity to move on and up is something that, that all Hispanics, um, regardless of where they're from, um, really look to. And those kind of issues are the ones that they're looking at. Those are, I, I mean, I, I we kind of know that. And th this is what's difficult for me, Ronnie, is it's like, you know, I, I'm a political, you know, operative. I came from, you know, the election side of this, right? Get people elected. And it's just a difficult thing for me because we know that this is what Hispanics have, you know, I know Hispanics have more than one issue. No one is debating that, right? right. But we, this is something that is so close to their community. It's close to their families. Like, okay, maybe somebody in your family isn't undocumented, but maybe somebody in your friend's family is, or maybe one of your friends or your family member's spouse, you know, like there really is, it is so close. And I feel like some of us on the, on the right don't understand that this is a gateway issue. And it, it's, it's, I want to know where you stand on, on solving the immigration issue and especially the crisis. It is an absolute crisis at the border right now of, you know, the, these are just, and it's just broke. It's 40 years of broken promises. It's right. We keep, I, this is what I don't understand is it's like, we as Republicans, we know we have to deal with this issue. We know that Hispanics have been asking us to deal with this issue for longer than 40 years. And we continue to either let it go by the wayside or just mess it up. Right. I mean, we just, just consistently mess it up. And so it, it's a difficult subject. And I, what you just said just rings really true to me. It's like, and, and I, in reading that book, I was telling you about it. It just, this has been an issue that's been going on for 50 years. And we Republicans, I think could hold the key to that. If we could just understand, it's not about getting Hispanic votes, but it's getting Hispanics to listen to us because we have this issue that's so close and we have an answer to it. We have a good answer right. to it, you know? And, um, so, okay, that that's great. I agree with you. I feel like immigration reform has to be comprehensive. It has to be, you know, include border security. It also has to include dealing with realities of where we are now, also preparing for the future and, and keeping immigrants flowing in. I, I That's the thing, the right immigrants and, and immigrants who want to come here and have a Naharo family story of working from the bottom to the top. I That's what America's about. It's what it's always been about. And um, so I hope we can see some sort of, you know, I, I, I want Republicans to be the solution to that. And I, I'm sad that we have not yet been able to do that. Um, but I, I, I don't know, it, the, the Biden administration has really, uh, their ability to look away from the crisis of the border is very difficult for me, Ronnie. And so, I mean, is a yeah. AFP talking about that border crisis? Is it important or is it more long-term immigration from like, you know, what does that look like for you guys? The way we view that is the border crisis is, is, is the product of not reforming our immigration system, right? When you look at how outdated it is and you have somebody in Latin America who wants to apply for a visa to come here as a resident alien and you're looking at a backlog of over 25 years just to get your first interview, right? When when the situation is dire back home and there's, there's you know, there's, there's, there's drug cartels and there's gangs and there's just no opportunity for you to to live, you know, the kind of life you want, you know, it brings back to, it brings to mind one of my, one of my little cousins in El Salvador at one point um, who, you know, they lived in a certain area that became overrun by gangs and the MS-13 gangs and, and the terrible situation there. And what we had to do is we actually had to move them out of that house into a different part of the country because it was, it was, the, the choice was simple. It was either you join the gang or 
we kill your family. And so, you know, it's a hard choice to make. And now think about somebody who doesn't have relatives in the United States that can that can provide that kind of relief that we provided. The only alternative right. is to take that treacherous journey. And if it takes you 25 years to do things legally because our visa system and our legal process are so outdated, of course, the incentive is, however dangerous it may be, to take the however thousand mile journey and get exposed to the human trafficking and all that with the glimmer of hope that you'll make it to the United States and maybe have a better life, right? So the way we view it is the border crisis is just a symptom and a, and, and a result of not looking at that, right? So, you know, our view is if we reform the legal ways to get here, right, you make it more streamlined, you by 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 default, you're going to disincentivize the illegal crossings, right? Because now you have a free flowing in a new system to get folks here. That's more yeah. uh, that's le least restrictive. And then also, you know, you're better able to prioritize your resources at the border to really have stronger border security. But it, it can't happen yeah. with one or the other. It has to be done simultaneously. We want as many immigrants who want to come here and and be a part of America and, you know, not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean becoming a citizen, but want to be productive Americans. We want as many of them as possible. Like, right. I, that's what I don't, I don't, I try to explain this to people. Like, that's who we want. And and by, oh, we want as much legal immigration as humanly possible, you know, as, as it makes sense. I'm not an immigration lawyer or attorney, but as much as we can, because those are the kind of people that come here, do those jobs you know, become great Americans. And so that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, Ronnie, uh, just, you know, before we end, this is, you know, kind of my last thing is I'm going to, I, I want to ask, tell me a little bit about what, what, if someone is just learning about AFP or just wants to get involved in Libre, what, what do you want them to do? Do they go to the website? Do they follow you on Facebook? Tell us what somebody needs to do to get involved with you guys and learn more about you. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, we have a lot of uh, a whole army of volunteers, a lot of them young people, which is great to see, you know, high schoolers, college students that just want to get involved and actually make a difference, right? Um, so, you know, we have a Facebook page, Americans for Prosperity in Nevada on Facebook. We also have Libre Nevada on Facebook. And our office, Monday through Friday, is bustling with young folks. Uh, we, you know, we like to build community. So just look for us on Facebook. If there's an issue you want to get involved in, you know, look us up, message us. Um, and, and we'd be more than happy to sit down and talk to you, see what issues you're passionate about, because we believe every single one of our volunteers, whoever they are, has something to offer, right? Like whether it be, you know, you're a super connector, you like to talk to people, or you, you don't like to talk to people and you like to make phone calls or you like to knock on doors or whatever it is. Maybe you like to plan an event. We have a place for you here at Americans for Prosperity. We have seven community engagement directors that actively do all kinds of events from, from giving backpack out for back to school, to organizing rallies on healthcare, or to even taking trips to Carson City to talk to the legislators. We also provide that. So, you know, we want to keep growing the, the movement of millions that we're trying to do. And we're trying to make Nevada into the model state for economic opportunity. You know, we don't want to see a lot of this, this uh, you know, high cost of living that, that we're seeing in other states because we're just taxed to the brim, right? Um, we want to see and keep Nevada the place that we all know. And the best way we can do that is getting as many folks out involved and in, in, in engaging on these issues that we can. And I think we're not far away. I think it, it's looked tough over the last several years, but I really do think we have an opportunity to turn things around in Nevada. And we're, we're trying to do that and, and get more freedom and opportunity to everybody here. 
Ronnie, I'm I'm so grateful for your organization. I'm grateful for you um, and and all of your staff and and the people involved for what you guys are doing to to forward free enterprise and free market thought in our state. Um, we're grateful for you. Please keep going, keep doing what you're doing. Um, and uh, you know, we'll let me know any updates, any you know anything you need us to do. We'll we'll uh, we'll integrate that into you know things we post about and share that around. Before I let you go, Ronnie, um, I ask everybody who comes on. I kind of ask, what what are you reading or watching right now? What's what is on your TV or on your Kindle uh, that you're you're focused on right now that you're <laughs> loving and, and you want to share with people? You know what? I'm really into leadership podcasts, and uh, I, I really like John Maxwell. You know, I, I listen to him every day on my way to work, and uh, it's really about empowering others and how you can uh, you can you can you know lead others to, to opportunities and so uh, that's what's on my playlist right now and just a bunch of infrastructure boring stuff that a lot of folks don't like to read but that I that I enjoy and, and uh, so that's what I'm doing but also uh, one last plug if I can August 28th at Pampas over at Planet Hollywood we're having an event on the importance of the filibuster and our efforts I want to invite everybody uh, that's listening to join us it'll be on our Facebook page and then August 21st uh, we have a, a legislative session um, recap, and we'll be talking about what was done in the 2021 legislative session. So it's a couple of events around the corner that I hope your your audience can join, and I'll make sure to post that on our Facebook page so that you're aware. Amazing, amazing. I'll uh, I'll try to get this up here pretty soon, and uh, and get those I'll get those links out with it. So just shoot those uh, shoot those over to me. But uh, Ronnie, I'll, I'll uh, add John Maxwell to my list uh, of podcasts. <laughs> my list is infinite, but it, it, it's somewhere, I'll add it somewhere on the list. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, please say hello to everyone on the AFP staff and uh, we'll, we'll let you go. Thank you for your time. Will do. Thank you for what you're doing. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ronnie.